This is Bustin' Loose Baseball with Grant and Danny. Interviews, analytics, and analysis on everything baseball in the nation's capital. Bustin' Loose Baseball, episode five. We are back. The Nats are also back home after a win to avoid a sweep at the hands of the Brewers. Seven games at Nationals Park. The Dodgers in town for three. Rockies on the other end for four. And Trey Turner coming back to the nation's capital. Uh, we're going to be discussing the Turner-Scherzer deal that netted Josiah Gray and Kbert Ruiz. We will also talk about moving Juan Soto down in the order. And you'll hear an interview we did on our daily show in D.C. with Barry Sverluga on the state of the Nats. He went hard in the paint. All coming up on Bustin' Loose Baseball. Danny, how are you? Very well, my friend. Like to see the Nats a little salvage piece a couple times on their road trip there, avoiding the sweepies. But uh, how about a, a little Nats history here? Two RBI bunt base hits in a row. Whatever it takes, man. You know, when, when the regular things aren't working, when you're not playing the big home run fly ball machine like everyone else, you got to scratch and claw and find a way. That was fun to see. Yeah, my general philosophy is if you're not a pitcher, I don't want you bunting. Uh, I don't <laughs> give up outs, but whatever. I mean, nothing really matters. They're 14 and 28, so if you can do something that works, do it. If you're D. Strange Gordon, you should be bunting, you know, twice a homestand uh, at, at this stage, right? Those are, those are hits, especially guys that that are uh, you know subjected to, to shifts at this point. Laying one down is not the worst thing you can do. But I'm I'm with you on the sacrifice bunt. It literally says sacrifice in the title. Let's give up. That's quitting. Bunting is quitting. The Nationals went into Sunday's win with their third worst record in franchise history, and that's accounting for their time as the Expos as well. Uh, they are, as I mentioned, 14-28. and 28. Only the Reds have a worse record in Major League Baseball. You line up every team in the sport from the Yankees, 29-12, and 12, and the Dodgers, best in the NL, 27-13, and 13, down to the bottom. The Nats, second to last ahead of the Reds. Same number of losses, but the Reds have played two fewer games. They have two fewer wins. Look, we thought this was going to be rough. We kind of knew what we were getting into. I think we all went into this eyes wide open. The rebuild was on. It has gotten worse quickly than we anticipated. Specifically, the bad defense is, is just tough to stomach. You know, the amount of circus plays that are happening, terrible base running blunders and gaffes. You can be bad and run the base as well. You can be bad and play pretty good defense. Like the stuff that you control, I need you to control better than they have. You don't have as much talent. You're not built as well as some other teams. I understand losing a lot of baseball games. There's no crime in that. But you got to play a cleaner brand of baseball and losers of seven of their ten. It just hadn't happened. So, Jeeps, I actually was wrong. I, I think I probably overshot a little bit when it came to this season. I didn't think they were competing. I didn't think they were going to be a playoff team. Or I, I kind of said, well, if you squint a little bit, you could see a group that could muscle together high 70s, maybe like an 80th win if they, you know, a couple things break in a, in a great way. That included Carter Keyboom in that plan, by the way. That included, you know, a blossoming of some of their young pieces. I thought they'd play 450 baseball. They're not. They're playing 333 baseball. They're down, as you said, kind of where the Reds are. And and the reasons why are what you just laid out. So that actually gets me to to want to bring something up, which I think is 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 interesting when it comes to the future of this organization. So much is being made right now about Juan Soto. There's a there's a think piece every day from some, you know, t- somebody that covers whatever team. Could we be in the market for Juan Soto via trade, et cetera? So much attention nationally, even locally, too, is being paid to that. There's so much attention being paid to the learner's potential sale, right? That's a huge thing. And under the radar thing that should get a lot of attention, last year's for Mike Rizzo and Davey Martinez. And the reason why I think those are connected is this sort of 
Weird base running, Victor Robles, oh my God, what are we doing? I can't hit a cutoff man. Or, you know, base running gaffes or getting picked off down a, a number of runs. The unclean baseball that's taking place underneath David Martinez's watch, some people will tell you that's connected. Some people tell you that it's not. Some people tell you that, you know, it's it, it just, you know, it's, it's players only. David Martinez isn't punting any balls into the stands or airmailing pickoff throws or, or whatever. And others will tell you, no, that's what the manager emphasizes. That's what the focus is. We've had a couple times now at a spring training where this group has been really sloppy to start the season for the first couple of months, even when they were potential first division ball club under David Martinez. 2019 happened. Right, that's a major deposit in anybody's bank, especially Davey. is a guy that you and I both like immensely, just personally. Uh, is an outstanding dude, and he was the right guy to kind of uh, govern this ship and, and stayed steady as this team experienced some ups and downs at various points. But there is a legitimate question, I suppose, to his future here in Washington. Yeah, so let's go one at a time between Rizzo and Davey then as far as their futures go. Both of them have options, it's been reported, for next year that can be picked up. And I actually think the most likely thing is, and it's not just in the case of Rizzo or Davey, but also Soto, the status quo probably is more likely than anything else while you're under a sale. And it seems like the learners are trying to sell the team. And if that's the case, then you're not going to re-up with Mike Rizzo for an extended period of time, probably. You're not going to certainly bring in a new GM and team president to start a new contract as the owner a year before you sell or, or in the process of a sale so that someone's inheriting this team president on a three- or four-year contract. That doesn't make any sense. Same with field manager, in this case, Davey. You're not going to extend him, I wouldn't think, for three or four years if you are about to sell the team because why does someone buying a team want to be dictated to on who's running said team? And I also think it makes no sense, flip side of that, to – not pick up his option, perhaps, and bring someone in because you think guys are taking one-year deals? Ask Bud Black how that goes when you make that off. <laughs> they don't want that. And so it's going to be two, it's going to be three, four years, whatever it is, for a new manager. Doing that right before you sell doesn't make a lot of sense. So I think the most likely thing is that they probably just pick up the options on both of those guys unless something happens fast here. Unless you already have someone that's separating itself that you know is going to buy the team and they can help pull some strings before they take over, kind of dictate to the learners what they want. That's the only way I could really see major decisions made in that area. But if we're just evaluating how these guys have done, I mean, look, Davey, if you take out the magical run in 19, and I know that's a big if because it doesn't happen without him, his constant positivity, the, the way he ran that clubhouse. I wrote a story about this if for, in the Athletic years ago, if you want to go look it up from 2019, like he was the reason, I think, that that renaissance was even possible, and all the players will say that. But if you take that stretch out of the equation, he takes over a good 17 team that was in the playoffs with Dusty, and they basically go 518 and miss the playoffs mm-hmm. in his first year. Then in 19, they got off to the awful start. They go on the magical carpet ride. In 20, the pandemic year, they were bad with a pretty good roster, sub-500. In 2021, last year, they sold off and obviously lost almost 100 games. And this year, rock bottom, hopefully, they're playing 333 baseball. So you're talking about someone who does have the World Series title, luckily, but is 30 games under 500 essentially, as we talk now in five years. So I don't think it is unfair to ask. What they'll do in the future, should they bring Davey back? I love the guy personally. I think by and large, he's done some really good things. But they don't play like they're coached well all the time. Mm. That's just hard to argue. And I am a believer in players play 
the, the thing that you alluded to. Uh-huh. Like, this is not Davey's fault that all this happens, but at some point, you can't get rid of 25 players, as Ryan Zimmerman once said to us years ago. So, I, I am keeping Davey for next year. I'm keeping Rizzo for next year. I'm, I'm letting the new owners make any decisions they have to. It's the reason why, and we'll get into this, Juan Soto, in my opinion, isn't being traded anytime in the near future. But these conversations are not unfair. Like, it's not ridiculous to talk about. I, I think that's well put. So, there's this, and a reasonable minds can disagree about this, but the case of Victor Robles, to me, is the sort of definitive where you stand on this kind of quandary for Major League Baseball. A well-thought-of, well-regarded, a highly-touted prospect. Not only has he not gotten any better, he's probably worse than he was a handful of years ago. Well, what are the factors? How much is Victor Robles just wasn't it? How much is coaching, environment, surroundings? He's still not hitting the cutoff man. He's still making base running gaps. He's still doing things that Little League kids would get benched for. High school kids have to go sit down. Finable stuff. Like It's unbelievable that a dude that's no longer 19, this isn't a 20-year-old, this isn't some kid who's you know making earnest mistakes, this is a, now a five-year big leaguer who's making these kinds of unbelievable, unacceptable night-in, night-out errors to the point that he's not really even playing consistently anymore. Where's the development? How much do you blame him just because, hey, sometimes prospects miss? How much do you say, hey, this is a coaching thing? And I think a reasonable person can disagree. I, I, I never think it's cut and dry, but those are the kinds of questions that I think it's fair to ask. To your point, I think you made it very well about that 19 run, the time and place, context matters. If you had a guy that threw temper tantrums, if you Hal McCrae, somebody that's going to you know flip the table and throw the Gatorade and the water cooler, you know the, the time that you blew another eighth inning lead, which they did a million times in that first 50 games, they wouldn't have turned it around. It wouldn't have worked. He was the right dude for that place and time. Is he the right guy for the next place in time as you're trying to develop young talent to get back to the point where you can win mid-90s games? I don't know the answer to that. Well, and I will go one step further because it's not just like we're making the case that he was Mr. Nice Guy in the clubhouse and by constantly being positive and saying, the boy, I like our boys. I like our guys. We're going to hit tomorrow. Don't worry. We're mm-hmm. going to hit tomorrow. Don't worry. That worked. But there was more to it than that. Of course. I mean, from a managerial standpoint in the postseason, he put on a clinic. Like he did all of the things, and hopefully everyone's – able to handle this for a second, that like Dusty doesn't do in the playoffs and can't do in the playoffs. When you're ending games because Wilmer Defoe's at the plate, because you've double-switched everyone out of the lineup and and because you're not managing live-or-die this game necessarily. When the opposing dugout gives a standing ovation to a pitching change. Right, (laughs) which happened. Which happened. When the Nats were playing, by the way. In Chicago. uh, In Chicago against the Cubs, and and you go to, by the way, you you just made all these trades, and you have Brandon Kinsler and these guys now who can be your relievers, and you go to Sammy Solis. And they're fist-pumping, and they're jubilant in that dugout. (laughs) Where where is Sammy Solis? But Davey knew how to manage in the sense of, like, I'm going to use Max Scherzer out of the bullpen. I'm going to use Steven Strasburg out of the bullpen. Not an elimination game five, which Dusty did one time, but throughout the postseason, I'm going to use Patrick Corbin out of the pen. We are winning today, and it's going to set us up in this series. And So I really do think he was mostly masterful that postseason. They got a lot out of the couple times he had tirades, whether it was in the World Series game or six. before that. Um, and I just think he did a really good job, and I give him all the credit in the world for that. And he's one of the biggest reasons why they have a ring, just like Rizzo is. But if you're just looking at the bulk of his time here, the majority has not been that necessarily. Right. I think he's a good manager. And, and I'll say this. If he's available in a year or, or whatever, someone should bring him in who's got a contending team. I really believe that. 
But to your point, the question is, is he the the coach? Is he the instructor? Is he the guy you're going to wear it with and rebuild with? I don't know. I'm, I'm not positive. They have not done a great job with young big leaguers having success quickly at the major league level. See Carter Keeboom, who, by the way, out for the year, is having Tommy John surgery, which is disappointing. And, you know, that road back is going to be long and arduous and difficult. Now, Rizzo's fascinating to me, too. I believe Rizzo's one of the better executives in baseball. I, I think his track record speaks for itself. You know, you look at the win counts in the regular season over the last few years. Uh, well, the last decade, rather, right there at the top. You look at his history of trades. I mean, just incredible. Every, every one of these deals, it's been a home run, whether it's Matt Capps for Wilson Ramos or getting Doug Fister for Steve Lombardozzi or the, the greatest trade in team history, one of the greatest trades ever, Trey Turner and Joe Ross for Steven Susan, a three-team deal. Uh, and I could rattle off a bunch of others. I'm not sure anyone's got a better track record on trades than he does. Uh, he has largely hit. In free agency as well, they've done a really good job. When they drop money on Max, that's one of the great free agent signings ever. When they bring in some of these random veterans, you go, this is not going to work. This is a terrible idea. And those guys end up playing over their skis and having a lot of success because of their culture. Like, all those things are good. But there are major questions about player development and the farm system. And when was the last time they drafted, developed, and graduated an arm that was really good at the major league level? Strasburg and Jordan Zimmerman? I mean, who since has kind of been a slam dunk? Now, Ross has been okay. He was drafted somewhere else and started his development elsewhere. I wouldn't call Fetty a win, but he's at least a major league pitcher, I suppose, right mm-hmm. now. Maybe Yoan Adone's the next. We're hoping for Cavalli and Cole Henry. But you tell me, when's the last time they drafted, developed, graduated a really, really good pitcher? Strasburg. Is, is the answer. And, Who and, my mom would have drafted 1-1. Right, and, and that's kind of what's what's alarming here. So everybody's got the strengths and weaknesses, right? I, I am 100% with you that some of that's been bad luck. Some of that's been a guy that the world thinks is going to be outstanding that all of a sudden Lucas Giolito gets to the majors and is throwing 88. And everyone's like, what the hell happened? Now he's in Chicago And I guess great. we should give them credit because, like, Giolito could be doing what he's doing in Chicago here, but you flipped him for Eaton, who helped you win a World Series. Right. I, I mean, Zach Eflin, is it? Or Nick Pavetta is the Pavetta. guy from the Phillies who, now with Boston, has been a pretty good major leaguer, drafted Jesus developed Luzardo. here. I mean, there are names where they've, they've gotten guys right. But I guess, to your point, the way the Dodgers have stayed there is somehow drafting at the end of the first round, they've still found the next dude that rolls in and replenishes their staff. It's supplements. They still go out and major in finding Mookie Betts or getting Trey Turner from a willing uh, seller, but they're supplementing that organization and their team with some of their own internal stars. That's how you stay on top. St. Louis has made, uh, you know, just been consistently really good doing that for so many years. That's kind of a, a weakness right now relative to the rest of the strengths that is Mike Rizzo's organization when it comes to the Nationals. And again, that's not a criticism. That's just kind of, hey, you've been so good in every other area. If I'm a rival GM and Mike Rizzo calls, I'm not taking the call. I'm going to get fleeced. I'm going to lose. He's a mastermind at that. If he's in your fantasy league, hang up the damn phone. Seriously, he's been unbelievable in that regard. The occasional miss notwithstanding, people are probably sitting in their cars going, Jonathan Papelbon. Yep, swing and a miss. There have been a couple. but I, it, I think it's, it's amazing, though, that people have – mostly I think people understand how good he's been. But there is this – faction of the fan base uh-huh. that thinks he's like overrated or doesn't get oh, the no, love no, for no, Rizzo. No, 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 no. And I don't understand it because the first thing I would say is, again, you're talking about a decade of being one of the top five teams in the sport. I'm sorry that you only won the one title. It's hard to do that. Mm-hmm. It's hard to be the last team standing. A lot of things have to fall in your favor. His job is to build a 90-plus win team and hand it to a manager. And for the better part of a decade, he did that. The other thing is when Rizzo leaves, his guys leave with him. 
your Johnny DePuglias, who found Juan Soto, who found uh, a bunch of their really good young talent. Now, Luis Garcia or Victor Robles or so many others along the way. Like, that guy's gone from the organization. There are a lot of smart, good people here that are Rizzo lifers, so to speak, that are, that would roll out with him. So it, it doesn't—I've just never understood the lack of credit. Like, people expect a 1,000 batting average. They're like, well, what about this? What about this? The GM job, you're looking for, like, a 600 batting average. Cute that you can find the times it didn't work. You're chasing a ghost. This is not perfect. It's like watching a quarterback's film and saying he missed this throw, left these yards on the field, should have had a touchdown here. Well, no crap. It's not a perfect job. It's not a batting average 1,000 gig. Neither is being a GM. And so, But the other part of Rizzo that I think we, and who knows how much this is ownership, but I generally give Rizzo credit, where they've let guys walk. And I know this is a touchy top a topic because we're de- we're gonna you know obviously we've talked about Soto ad nauseum, but whether it was Harper or Turner or Rendon or Jordan Zimmerman or Ian Desmond, when or, or Daniel Murphy I think is my is my greatest case. Daniel Murphy for three years here was a monster, you know low three hundreds batting average three fifteen to three fifty I think one of those years hitting around thirty home runs, you could you know hide him enough defensively he was an unbelievable piece, and so there w- there was. A little bit of a pulse of like, hey, is it worth kind of keeping this dude around because he's all he's done is mash since he's been here? Never even considered. Didn't even offer him anything, and he's basically off a cliff. You know, twenty four hours later, that kind of stuff. That's his scouting background. The numbers guys will tell you one thing: the fact that his eyeballs have have you know, with that Hardy's cup in the console, he's driven the six hundred miles to see the skinny sixteen year old with a little bit of arm side run. Why not you know, a Burger King cup? Because it's 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 more obscure on the road. Why not a McDonald's cup? Well, he's done it all. Is what I'm telling you. He, oh. he put in that mileage as a scout. So he's he's. What about seen a Shoney's it. cup? Do Shoney's have kind of to go cups? You know what? I just realized I've never been to a Shoney's. I don't know what it is. Well, it's like um, I don't know how to long describe. Long John Silver. It, long John Silver. Yeah, it's Shoney's is kind of like that Denny's. Sit, oh, it's down. A sit down. It's a casual sit down. Yeah. Oh, I thought it was a fast food joint. Mm-mm. You can do it fast because their service is outstanding at Shoney's. So it's like a it's it's a it's basically like an IHOP. Yeah. Oh, I need to go to Shoney's. You'd like a Shoney's, Darius? Have you ever been to Shoney's? Yeah, the Shoney's in Tappahannock. I mean, how, how have you never been to the Shoney's in Tappahannock? Guy, I sleep. I've never been to any Shoney's anywhere. Unbelievable. It, so it's a Bob Evans. Yes. They they also do buffet buffet style as well. If I remember, correctly. Shoney's does the buffet. Yeah, they do the buffet. Jimmy. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've never been to a Bob Evans until like a year and a half ago. So that that's just a hole in my game. Mm-hmm. Like Bob I, Evans' breakfast is outstanding, by the way. Oh, it's so good. Just FYI, you would love it. My power rankings would be Cracker Barrel 1. Of course. Um, Waffle House 2. Of course. Because I'm a French toast guy, and they've got money French toast. Really good French toast. I'm going to go Bob Evans 3, and then maybe Denny's IHOP in that order. But uh, you're, you're going to say I'm besmirching IHOP, and I would tell you— I love IHOP almost more than anything. I just love breakfast food in that way. Yeah. I, I, dude, I, I'm smelling what you're cooking. The the Cracker Barrel situation, congratulations, you've walked in. Here are your biscuits. Yep. You can't top it. That's a, Thanks for being here. Some biscuits. It's a great way to live. And you, you remember we went to Cracker Barrel at, at Nat Spring Training. Yeah, we were in West Palm Beach at Cracker Barrel right by the facility there. And I'm not trying to be braggadocious about the display I put on because I'm in a Cracker Barrel and I, I you know, I, I get nuts. I'm obese and, and yeah. I love to eat. What you did that day was disgusting. Yeah. Like, I would never... One time, Ryan Zimmerman looked at you and said you were disgusting based on something you'd eaten. Yeah. For me, personally, I would never do that to you because I, I, I admire what you're able to do. That day, you disgusted me. Now, the underrated part of that, and I agree with everything you're saying, by the way, including the Ryan Zimmerman story. 
which we should we should tell. I don't know if we've have we ever told that on air that it was Zim. Uh, I think we always just say a Nats player. Yeah, but now because now we're there's revealing an F bomb involved. Yeah, and, yeah. So we'll tell that on this podcast. But the thing about Cracker, I know we're down a Cracker Barrel rabbit hole here. But do you remember how impatient I was about the biscuits? The free ones that they just yeah, sit, yeah, you just wanted them when you I'm sat sitting down. there tapping my toe and so like, can I get you something to drink? And I was like, biscuits. And uh, I'd like a coffee and the biscuits whenever, if you have a second to run by the area where the biscuits are, I can't, I can't wait. Tell the Zim story real fast and then we got to get back to Rizzo. We were, so was it the, vac- was it vacation or New Orleans? I think uh, it was vacation. It was New Orleans. No, no, it was New Orleans. It was New Orleans? Or was it my vacation it was, where I gained the most? Oh, no, no. You know what it was? It was your two-week vacation when you gained 27 and a yeah, half Yeah, two-week vacation. So we play a game on our on the Great Nanny Show uh, called How Much Weight to Danny Gano Vacation, where I don't worry about eat, I don't worry about what I eat. I just enjoy myself and deal with disdain from my wife and, and family members and whatever. But I enjoy my meals, right? So I kind of went nuts on this one trip. I, it wasn't even like I didn't think about it. It was like I purposely sought out the most delicious possible thing, which was terrible for me. And I gained 26 pounds in two weeks. Ryan Zimmerman heard that segment because he was listening on the way to the ballpark. A few weeks later, we interviewed Zim and a bunch of other guys at the Nats Youth Academy. Right. They, they were on site uh, for an event with all the kids, which was great. We broadcasted live. So one at a time, Anthony Rendon and a bunch of guys, Juan Soto that day, came in, talked to us. And Zim was the last guy we talked to. Okay. So, Darius, you're going to have to bleep out a curse word here because I'm going to tell the real story. Okay. So mark this time. Interview's over. We're in this little kind of room, side, kind of an anteroom, just sort of doing the thing. So guys, when it's their turn to, to face the music, to come talk to us, come in, sit down, etc. Zim has finished his interview. He's getting up. He's walking away. The door is half open. He stops and turns around and goes, did you really gain 26 pounds in two weeks on vacation? I said, yes. He said, that's disgusting. And, and but, didn't let me respond and close the door. But the way he looked at you. Yeah. Was like a, a dad yep. who's disappointed. Not angry, just sad. A, the idea that someone could do that to themselves. Someone would do that to themselves. As you said, he wasn't angry. He was in disappointed disbelief. That's the story. All right, back to Rizzo. You cool with that? Yeah, let's go back to Rizzo. So real fast, I just wanted to say to, to kind of close the book on, on this convo. You mentioned some of the things they haven't done. When you go back through the years of who we wanted re-upped and who who not, whatever, people wanted $100 million for Ian Desmond. They didn't do it. Right. It turned out to be the right decision. Mm-hmm. People wanted $100 million for Jordan Zimmerman. They didn't do right it. Right decision. It turned out to be the right decision. If you go more recently with the Stars, people wanted to pay Bryce. They didn't. They spent some of that on Corbin. He was huge. They win the World Series the following season. Bryce becomes your right fielder. Excuse me. Uh, Soto becomes your right fielder to replace Bryce. Everyone wanted to keep Rendon and pay him. Since he went to the Angels... It's been bad for them. Like, they're down on him, and he's not hitting, and, and it's really been a, a tough couple of years. Part of the reason they didn't pay him is because he had problems staying healthy. Mm-hmm. Guess what? Since he got there, he's had a lot of problems staying healthy. Now, I'm not saying that if those guys stayed here, it wouldn't have been different because you're changing lifestyle. You're moving your family. You're going to a different market. You know, you, you have these fluke injuries that happen that may not have happened here. Maybe they stay and they hit, and they, they're really, really good. Who knows? But— it's hard to argue with the results of a lot of what they've done. Now, I can make the case that they should have kept Rendon still over, say, Strasburg. They chose him over Stras. Uh, excuse, excuse me. It seems like they, they chose Stras over him. Same contract, mm-hmm. 7 245. And I would still say, as bad as Rendon has been for the Angels, they're getting more out of him than the Nats are getting out of Strasburg. Just play baseball games, yeah. Hopefully, the rehab in Fredericksburg goes well on Tuesday. We're recording this on Monday afternoon. And he's back in the big league soon and, and can throw well. But. The track record's pretty good. 
on what they haven't done and how it's worked out on the back end, which I just think should be brought up. All right, some more timely things really quickly about the Nationals in the moment. Uh, Trey Turner is back in town yes. with the Dodgers. Speaking of deals, let's just real quick give a thought on this. We did this in detail on our Grant and Danny show, but I, I want to give our podcast listeners a quick take. Hindsight has now become wisdom. We've got the benefit of looking back now. Trey Turner and Max Scherzer out to L.A., Kbert Ruiz and Josiah Gray as the center pieces of a deal coming back to Washington. I would say, based on the assessment that Trey Turner is leaving at the end of the year as a free agent if he's in Washington anyway, if you trade him now, which is what they do, they would trade him at this deadline, by himself, you're getting nothing like that back. That still, to me, looks like a massive win. Nats fans will disagree probably because Scherzer uh, is a horse for the Mets when he's healthy. He's going to miss about two months. And Turner is Trey Turner. Yep. And you're now in last place, and you're one of the worst teams in baseball. But, again, Max was leaving. Sorry about it. It was happening. Trey, after this season, was leaving. If you want to be mad, be mad they didn't sign him sooner. Yep. They should have gotten a deal done with him. He wasn't a Boris guy. I'll never, ever forget that they didn't. To me, that was a mistake. It should have been two or three years earlier. Because trading him now at his age, excuse me, signing him now at his age wouldn't have made a lot of sense. But they would have been trading him this deadline by himself, would have got nothing like what they got back. It looks to me like Josiah Gray, number two type starter, number three starter. Kbert Ruiz, number one in F4 among catchers right now in the league. You can't tell me that deal doesn't look good for them right now. Given the context, you're right. So the the one point that I would add is when we review this again in a couple of years, and presumably for the sake of argument, Soto's gone too, it's going to sting a little bit more where – so you end up with none of those guys, none of the core young guys from that World Series team are here. Unforgivable, and that's and that's what's going to hurt the most. But if we if we agree to the following stipulations, one Trey Turner was not going to be here beyond this year. But if, but can I just say really quick go ahead. and tag you, and I'm gonna let you finish. But because someone is in their car saying what I'm about to say, you guys are not acknowledging that they should have signed Trey Turner earlier. Oh no 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 no! I'm I I, I beat the drum. If there was a drum, metaphorically, I was smacking it. Not not in the year that they decided, well, we're not going to be able to do this two years before that. Yeah, like 2019, buy 2018. Out, buy out his arbitration years. Give him a short-term raise. Show him that cash in hand is better than this long-term. Yada, yada. Try. And if the answer is no, I'm going to free agency. Okay. Give him that massive Corey Seager, Carlos Correa, yes. um, Marcus Simeon, like that type of deal a couple years earlier. You can say if you're Rizzo and you're listening or whatever, you could be like, these guys are idiots. It takes two to tango. He is not repped by Boris. Like th- There is no reason, in my opinion, why they couldn't have started sooner, paid more up front, and gotten a discount on the back end. But they didn't do it. So we, last year, were sitting in a boat, Danny, where you have Max likely to leave at the end of the year, yep. Trey likely to leave at the end of next year, starting to get older to start paying that six, seven-year contract. Right. It was my point with Anthony Rendon. By the time you got to 2019, it was already too late. It should have been 2017 for Rendon. It should have been 2018, 2019 for Trey Turner, that kind of thing. If you want to do it. If you if you don't want to hold the bag at the end when a guy that's who, whose game is so much dependent on speed is 33 years old playing shortstop every day because you think he might break down, that's not the craziest thing in the world. But if we agree to that stipulation that he was not going to be here, they did really well. They did really well. Gray, I like a lot. I, I think he. I, I, I've hammered this point on on Grant and Dan, and I hammered this point on, on this podcast as well. I think he's a change up away from being a really, really elite top of the rotation National League arm. I, I think he'll be able to do some incredible things if he finds a consistent change up, which he hasn't yet. He's still getting outs on that breaking ball, both of them, the, the curveball and the slider, at different times, different batters. Kind of depends on feel. 
he's got Jordan Zimmerman stuff right now. You know, I mean, the way that fastball rides and that the curveball and slider is good. He is a solid middle of the rotation pitcher. Now I think he can grow even more. Ruiz is really impressive to me. Really impressive. If you guys played at, at, at a high level or have seen enough, the way he moves as a catcher, his, his hands, his receiving ability, he's got that you know uh, the, the quickness back there, but he's not jumpy. It's hard to describe, but you know it when you see it. The guys that are under control. He's fluid. He's loose. He's strong. His catch and throw is there. He's stealing strikes here and there. He's you know I'm sure he's growing as a guy that's calling the game and learning the league, etc. And offensively, the power isn't there yet. Emphasis on yet. That's coming. His bat to ball skills are elite. He is going to be a stud. A I mean he's already good right now. GP, as you said, leading catchers in F4. I, I this is this is a perennial all-star in my opinion. I think he's going to be special. About 2 weeks ago, maybe less. He was hitting 265 mm-hmm. and I texted with one of the Nats people and I'm like, "Hey, he's having good at bats, am I wrong?" And they said, "Look, we we got him projected right now and they may have their own number, but he should be hitting about 300." I said, "Really?" They said he's going to be fine. And I looked it up that day his expected batting average on baseball savant was like 307. There you go. He's now up to 288. He's, mm-hmm. he's gained 20 points since then. If you look at how, I mean, you shouldn't throw this guy fastballs. He's hitting, uh, he's got an expected batting average of 428 off fastballs, 558 slug. Breaking stuff has been way more difficult for him. Yeah. 207 expected average with a two, uh, 310 slug against breaking stuff. You know, off speed in general, really, really struggle with changeups. 162 batting average expected. So that's kind of the next phase of the development. He's pretty much a dead pull hitter this year, particularly with any of his power. But uh, how can you not be impressed? He's 23. He's learning an organization in arms, and he's working with young pitchers, and he's been one of the league leaders in throwing guys out, and he's trying to hone his defensive skills. Uh, and he's, he's doing a lot of things well, uh, and I'm, I'm excited. He he's also, really impressive. The ball is always in play. Yep. His K percentage is 95th percentile. He doesn't walk a whole lot, but like bat-to-ball skills are there. Um, his whiff percentage is 90th. He makes a lot of contact. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I just I love what I've seen. So to have your backstop, this, this was the goal. That night, I remember doing a lot of talking about this trade on different platforms, and I said, if Kbert Ruiz becomes your long-term answer at catcher, and you basically get six or seven years of control out of him, and Josiah Gray becomes a number two starter for you, or a number three starter for you, and you're getting, again, six or seven years, like 12-plus years of control of these two guys for the Scherzer rental when you're bad the rest of the year anyway, and... One and a half years of Trey Turner. You just can't convince me that that's not worthwhile. And there are other players that may or may not make the big leagues and help that came over as this package um, unfolds in the years ahead from the minors too. But I really viewed it as kind of like those two prospects. Yeah. Now let me say real quick before I and, and again I'm gonna let you finish. If you're asking me what I'd rather have Trey Turner on a long term deal or those two guys, I'd rather have Trey Turner. But we're operating from the spot of he wasn't going to stay. Beyond the the, the countdown was on. Right from the from the moment they said, you know what, we're not particularly good this year. We're underachieving. We're in sell mode. The instant that switch was flipped, if you said there's a countdown for how long we get Trey Turner, they did really, really well for themselves. Yeah, and I think sometimes the the thought is whether it's fans or media or whatever, this unrealistic argument of well, you need to sign Trey Turner. You should have re-signed him. We are working from the point of that was not on the table at that moment and maybe wouldn't have made the most sense based on the years and the money at his age anyway. Mm -hmm. So now what? So, yes, you can't forget that they screwed it up earlier on probably, but it is what it is as of last year, and it looks like the return has been pretty good. Now, if if Josiah Gray is this 
which is like a mid threes, high threes ERA guy, never really develops the changeup. You know, he's probably more of maybe a three and a half or a fourth starter. Doesn't look quite as good, right? If Kbert Ruiz never hits for a whole lot of power and he's like a 270 hitting catcher who's decent behind the plate, there's nothing wrong with that. But if he's not hitting home runs and he's not making all-star appearances, then the ceiling for this return is lower. I think you're seeing the beginning yep. for Ruiz. I think you're seeing the beginning for Gray. And that both of those guys will end up playing in all-star games. And if that's the case, you needed to get two really good players back, and they did that. Uh, they changed the, the, the batting order up a little bit this week, end of the uh, weekend against the Brewers. Juan Soto moved from two to three. I love that Davey had him batting second. They use the argument that I've used for years, which is all the studies show you know, that you can most impact runs scored from the two spot. Mm -hmm. He also said that they studied how often he was left on deck at the end of games the year before. They wanted to get him a chance to win more games in the ninth inning, extra innings. And the other thing was just the number of plate appearances, which is basic math. You see Juan Soto 30 more times if he hits second or whatever over the course of the season. So all that makes sense to me. He should bat second. In the meantime, he's not hitting, moving guys around, well worth the the attempt. A lot will be made from a tweak in the order, and they scored a bunch of runs. I don't really do that. I'm not a sample size of one game guy. But for what it's worth, you touch a button, it either results quickly in something or it doesn't. And they hit, and they scored against the Brewers. Soto breaks out of a 2-for-20, one of his worst slumps of his career over six games. Kbert Ruiz moves up, hit a big double to score a run. Uh, batting second for the first time. So give Davey some credit. The uh, tweak worked. Yeah, so big picture, I, I love Soto hitting second for a number of reasons, most of which you touched on. The biggest, though, to me is what's the skill set? There's some guys that are they're up there just to put bat to ball. And there's nothing wrong with that. It's just kind of what they are. So the guy most likely to get a base hit in your lineup, kind of old school thinking, you'd probably put him third because if you've got runners on, the best way to get him home isn't a walk, it's a base hit. If you've got someone that's most likely to walk, most likely to get on base, you hit those guys towards the top of the order. Those are the table setters. Occasionally, you get that rare special angel. You get that perfect combination of on-base run creation, run production, and that's Juan Soto. That's the perfect second hitter. Old school guys, second hitter was a guy who was up there to bunt, take two pitches, maybe try to hit a ground ball to the right side on a hit and run. The game has changed. We know too much now. So the best hitters in the sport, there's a chance at RBIs if your leadoff hitter can do his job, which we can quibble about Hernandez here in a second. But also, you're almost a 1A as a leadoff guy. Juan Soto getting on at the clip that he does, even when he's not hitting, he's still going to walk a ton. He'll still probably lead the league in bases on balls and be a guy that you have to pitch around setting the table for the middle of the order. That's my ideal. I'd like to get back to that. But the most important thing for the manager is I don't really care, with all due respect, how to get Alcides Escobar going. I'm not that concerned getting Mikel Franco the most comfortable. My star, my number one dude, needs to be his best. How do I get the A version of Juan Soto? That may be a short-term lineup tweak. That may be uh, you know, surrounding him with different guys. It may be you know, having a left-handed hitter hitting behind him. It may be having a, a different uh, switch hitter in front of him. Whatever your take is, that's fine. So ultimately, big picture, I would love Soto to hit second in this lineup and maybe a lot of others uh, it, you know, as, as this lineup kind of changes, as the personnel changes. But I like the tweak. I like the willingness not to say, hey, we're just going to keep throwing it at the wall and see what sticks. It's a, how do I get Juan Soto out of this? And I give Davey credit. Busting loose baseball. We had a great conversation with Barry Sverluga. Weren't planning on using it on the podcast, but it was uh, insightful and it's kind of on theme here to what we're talking about. Big picture, the Nats ownership, GM, managerial, field questions. Sverluga does a great job covering the team for the Post in town, a national columnist. Uh, here he was on our DC show, Grant and Danny, 
Bang, zoom. Talk to our friend Barry Spluga, who wrote a great column on the Nationals today. You want two things out of your columnists? I mean, it's nice when they're good writers and eloquent with their words, and Barry is one of the Certainly best that. in the country. The other is you want honesty. You want candor. You don't want them pulling punches, and Barry did not today. Knocked the boys around when they needed it a bit with uh, candor and honesty, and, and nothing he said's unfair. The Nats aren't just bad. They are hard to watch is the headline. There was a paragraph that I just want to frame. Cutoff man, this is Victor Robles. Victor, this is the cutoff man. You guys should get to know each other. <laughs> what a line. Barry, thank you for the time. How are you? Uh, I'm great, Grant. Thanks for uh, having me, and thanks for reading. So, Barry, let's start with Robles before we get to the team at large. We're still doing this. So, in, in 2019, I remember, early in the season, infield was back, Robles was on third, and Little League kids, you know, middle school kids, high school kids, no, hey, the infield's back. A ground ball to any of the infielders. They're giving up the run. Jog home, cartwheel home, crawl home, whatever you want. Grab ball to the, to the second baseman. He didn't score. I was irate about it, whatever. Four years later, we're still doing this stuff with him. What gives there? So that actually, Danny, I think is, is not only a frustrating thing as a viewer or a fan, but it's a meaningful thing for the franchise because if there's a path back to competitiveness, it would you know, be incredibly helped by a Victor Robles that is, you know, what he was supposed to be. The you pick a number, third, fourth, seventh best prospect prospect in baseball about six or seven years ago. He doesn't have to be a superstar, but if he were to learn and improve and and not be really what he was most of 2019 without the boneheadedness then he'd be an asset, not a problem. And I, I think, I mean, I think he's a fascinating case for this team because either you need a center fielder long-term or you don't because you have him in-house. Um, if he were to, to somehow find himself, that would be a, a box that this franchise could could check that right now you can't check because it's not just that he's struggling at the plate. It's that he continues to do the stupid stuff he's done for years and it's not he could be a gold glove center fielder except he throws he airmails like everybody in the ballpark and he did it last night in the 10th inning i mean mm-hmm. it didn't show up but I, I put it in the in the column because like you know the reliever backed up third base and, and no one no one advanced and it, it didn't end up being a big deal dude like throw the ball to the right person you don't have to be a hero every single time so i i, I i'm with you danny like it's repeat with this guy and we should be at the point where you're saying you have talent you should be a plus plus defender in center field and an adequate um offensive player and a plus base runner and just out of sheer mindlessness you're you're not yeah i think all the time about what they could be if robles had hit and i don't mean literally with his bat but as a prospect and if Carter Keeble, my first-round pick, became what he was supposed to. I mean, those two guys, the value that they had at one point, what they were supposed to be, like that's industry or I should say franchise-altering, right? When your you're oh. top infield, your top outfield prospects just kind of fizzle. And, and you know, Grant, like if, if, if you solve a problem in-house with a – I mean, let's get all, you know, baseball speak, like a zero-to-three guy, a guy that's getting paid whatever – 
salary you assign him that hasn't even reached arbitration yet, that gives you enormous flexibility with the rest of your roster. And and they did that in in 2019. I mean, they, they had Robles and Soto at salaries that were minimal, and, and that way you could afford Anthony Rendon in his last year of, of arbitration, which was a large number. You could have the large number of Scherzer. I mean, all of that is a, an equation. You can't have an entire lineup and, and rotation and bullpen of guys you've plucked from other organizations, either in free agency or trade, unless they're younger and at the point in their salary structure where they don't cost you that much. So that's, that's you know, it's frustrating to watch what's going on now because so few of the pieces of the future are on the field of, on a night-to-night basis. And that's why I, I would, you know, whatever. We can all be sick of how Victor Robles plays. If he flips it around and becomes something that's a plus rather than a minus, that's not just big for Victor Robles' career. That's huge for the transformation of the Nationals. And happy birthday to Victor Robles. That's today, today turns out. <laughs> 25 years old. So I, like you and like Danny and like the, the fans of this team that are plugged in, we all kind of knew what we were getting into with this club this year. We, we went in eyes wide open here. This was not going to be pretty. Mike Rizzo talks all the time about my job's to build the 90-win team and give it to the manager. They're not in that mode anymore. I, I don't think he necessarily was allowed to or tried to or whatever. We, however we got here, this is not a 90-win team. We all knew what this was going to be. But even by the standards, Barry, of me looking at the rotation and going, oh, this is going to be bad, and looking at the bullpen or the lineup where they'll say this Escobar plan every day and, and some of the things you're dealing with, even by that standard, this has been way worse than I thought. Same here. Like the the the, the Benny Hill music defensive plays and and the it's just hard to watch as you wrote about. Like, did I just forget how tough it is when your team is this bad every single night because it's been ten years or what? No, I think it's I think it's more than that, Grant. I think it's the the particular brand of baseball they're playing right now. I mean, one, it's it's who's doing it, right? It's it's. Alcides Escobar and D. Strange Gordon and Michael Franco and guys who are absolute definition of placeholders. They have no history with the club and they have no future with the club. So they're just like wearing the laundry and embarrassing themselves on a nightly basis, particularly defensively and with the, you know, just awful base running and all, all of that stuff. I think that there's a way, there was a way for this club to acquit itself well on a nicely nightly basis and that would be to play clean games and to make the plays you're supposed to make and to not run into 13 outs on the base paths which is what they have done they've run out they've run into six outs at third and seven outs at home you okay chalk some of that up to like oh we have to be aggressive to to score runs you know to see Juan Soto and Josh Bell get thrown out at third on the same play um, you just lay the Looney Tunes theme over that stuff. And, and, and it's to the point, guys, where, like, the Marlins broadcast, I went and watched some of this, rewatched some of the stuff on, on the Marlins um, highlights. You know, if, if the Miami Marlins broadcast team is saying, well, what you'd say is, like, throw a 10 over that circus, like, that's not a good spot to be at. That's, that's more than we're rebooting, we're rebuilding. That's, in the moment, we're a laughing stock, and you can't. If you're somebody who's overseeing the the baseball operations, you can't dismissive dismiss that as 
oh, it's all part of the process. You have to acknowledge that there are fans who are being like, I don't want to watch that. I'm not going to tune into this anymore. I'm not going to buy a ticket. I don't want a hot dog. Like I'll save myself the trouble because you haven't, you're making a mockery of the game. And what I want, even if I'm buying into the, to the rebuild, I want to see who's part of our future. I want to see a coaching staff that can get an honest effort out of um, whoever they're running out there. Nobody here is in a great position because it's difficult to go through this, particularly after you're coming off to, uh, you know, basically a decade of trying to contend. But what they're doing nightly now, uh, throwing the ball around the yard, is, is, in my view, not acceptable. So, Barry, there's a couple clouds hanging over this organization, right? When it comes to a potential ownership change, which you were, you know, right there reporting on when it when it broke. Then this Masson thing, and I'm not suggesting those things are, are the reason why Mikel Franco is not a good defensive player, right? There's no direct correlation there, but there's still some clouds hanging over this thing. And then you kind of rewind to this offseason where wasn't much activity, and their biggest acquisition was a guy they're probably hoping to trade here in a couple months who hasn't gotten off to a great start in Nelson Cruz. I, I sort of wonder. We always talk about this with the commanders, how you know Dan Snyder's not missing any tackles, but there's some correlation here when an organization doesn't do things right and they don't win that many games. It just kind of feels like things aren't great right now for this Nats organization with all these other things hanging over them. I'd love you to kind of speak to that. Well, and I think if, if you put the other thing that's hanging over them, Danny, is Juan Soto's entire situation, right? Yeah. So the Buster only like other other execs are um, rival execs are saying, "Hey, maybe the Nationals would try to trade him." Like that, to me, is almost more important than than anything. Um, how many games they lose, how, how they throw the ball around the yard, whatever. Like that's that's the thing because I believe, I really, really believe that this isn't just. Yeah, I, I take him over Ron Lacuna Jr. I take him over Fernando Tatis. We can debate this ad nauseum, but like for me, he's the guy, he's the hitter. And so um, the noise of that, of, of Soto's situation, even when you control him years out uh, is a big deal and it's tied into. And, and so here's, here's why I kind of am, I, I respect Buster only as a, as a reporter. And I think that those execs said exactly that to him. And I absolutely believe there are people who, um, think that maybe they will try to move Soto this summer. T- to me, you can't answer that question until you know who is going to be potentially signing the check on the other side. Mm-hmm. So my understanding of this baseball ops uh, administration, this staff, is that they went into spring and they were in the offseason and, and the, you wake up every day and you say, what's the best way to try to keep Juan Soto here long-term? If they have turned away from that, that is news to me. And I just have to believe that trade or sign, all of that is on, on pause. And the answer comes from who's on the other side of that ownership situation. Is it a Steve Cohen type who would be brazen and say, I'd make my money someplace else and I don't need to make money here and I need to win a championship and blah, 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 blah. Is it a Ted Leonsis in some sort of par- partnership with David Rubenstein who has a long history of, for good and bad, keeping his homegrown stars at home? That's Alex Ovechkin and Nicholas Backstrom, who are capitals for life. That's John Wall, who was kept here probably longer than a lot of people would have. That's Bradley Beal, 
who's still here, even though the franchise is not going anywhere. Like those questions matter. I, I, to me, trying to solve the Juan Soto puzzle. Um, and I know you didn't ask directly about this, but in terms of things that overhanged, overshadow the, the entire operation, I don't, I don't think the Juan Soto puzzle is solved this summer unless we know who the owner is and where this is going forward, because right now we don't know that. So I think that's so true. Yeah. And I've kind of got two thoughts I've been kicking around, and I want to see what you think about these. The first is that Soto would not in any way be traded before the next owner took over anyway, because he might be your biggest asset. Like in terms of selling a team, selling a team with Juan Soto on it, it seems like to me a no-brainer to get the most possible back. He's one of the biggest stars in the sport, as you mentioned. That's kind of my first take. My second one would be the only path I even see to retaining Juan Soto would be with a different new ownership group based on what I know about this ownership group and and their relationship with Boris and Boris and the money he'll want and all that. It would take a our own Steve Cohen it would, in D.C. It would, it would take the Nats getting the, the, the Bezos-type owner to just come sign the, him to 500 million bucks. What do you take, make of those two takes? I don't think you're wrong. I, I just think – so say the learners were not going to sell. I, I don't think it was crazy to think that Soto could sign here long-term before, uh, before free agency. I know that goes against Boris's operation. He g- generally doesn't do that. It's not unprecedented. He has done it. He's done it with Steven Strasburg. I think that's a different, um, different equation. But I, I, I don't think – if it was just like, oh, the learners are going to own this team in perpetuity, I don't think that that necessarily meant that the guy was going to walk to free go to free agency. Absolutely, I would have put that as the favorite, like maybe seventy of thirty, but I, I don't think it was ab- absolute. Um, I just think that you have to you you have to know who's going to be signing the checks. And to your point, Grant, when when the learners when we broke the story about the learners potentially selling and i believe they will sell um i had a genuine question of oh hey as a as a prospective buyer um what's better is it better for you to come in and not have any long-term commitments on the books and be like strasford's done at this time corbin's out in two years like i just want to wipe the slate clean or is it better to have juan soto locked up for 12 years and 500 million dollars whatever whatever the numbers are and the more people I talked to, the more people were like, no, you want the asset locked up. Like, he's that important. People will understand that. That's a value to the franchise. Um, you, would, you would be well served to have him locked up. So I get the, the trade chatter, and, and um, I understand that, that rival executives might say, like, well, if I were in that chair and I didn't know who was going to own me and I knew I was dealing with Boris and I might not be able to get it done – I might as well cut my losses and get a huge haul right now and say to the potential new owners, look, the major league product is terrible, but we've got this farm system that we can tell you is going to be is stocked. Um, and in three years, you're going to be not only in position with homegrown players, but you're going to have the cash to sign free agencies to fill in the holes. I, I get all that. I just, I just don't think I don't, if you were to put a gun to my head right now, there's no way that Juan Soto is getting traded this summer. That's that's my feeling. Barry, excellent column and great with us as always, buddy. Appreciate the time, man. Thanks, guys. Appreciate we'll it. We'll see you, buddy. Be well. Go read the column. It's really good in the Washington Post. Barry Sferluga with us on Grant and Danny. Long gone. 
Thanks to Barry Sferluga for that time and for joining us. Really good column. A lot of you have already read it. If you haven't, you should check it out. He went hard in the paint. I remember one time going out to dinner on the road in St. Louis after a uh, then-Redskins-Rams game with Jason Reed and uh, might have been Barry as well and Tom Boswell mm. and a couple of other really good writers. And they used a line that I've never forgotten where someone said, Boz, you had blood on your hands. And I just thought it was so funny. Because the column was one of those where he just killed somebody, you know, where he yeah. just and they said you got blood on your hands, boss. Barry had some blood on his hands. I mean, everything was fair, everything was correct. He didn't say a single thing that was unnecessary. It, it was backed up with good reason, and, and I'm sure all well sourced. And uh, he's as good as it gets. So good conversation with him there. All right, let's get into our hot and not here stud and dud to end the podcast as we always do. We'll bring in producer Darius who can start us off with your Nationals Stud of the Week. We'll start positively here. Uh, my Stud of the Week, Grant, this one's going to tweak you a little bit. I know it's not your favorite play in the world. I'm going to go Lane Thomas. That was mine, guy. No way. Absolutely. Do you know why? He was I don't. the only player last week with a home run last week. Uh, home runs are cool. Lane Thomas knows that They're I like cool. home runs. So he scored a home run last week. He also was five, uh, excuse me. He was also six for his last twenty-one over this last week. Five RBIs, a couple of doubles, and a triple. Lane Thomas is my stud of the week. By the way, I want to reiterate what you just said. They went a calendar week without a home run. Uh, entire calendar week without a home run, except for one Lane Thomas. I didn't realize that Aaron Judge homers like twice in any. <laughs> they went seven days, Saturday to Saturday, without hitting a home run. One of the lowest home run totals, obviously, in the sport this year. Than at Soto's got eight. Nobody else has more than four. I think Bell uh, and and maybe Yadi Hernandez. A couple of guys have four uh, second on the team. But yes, Lane Thomas. I'll, I'll I'll double down. I hate doing it, but I had him there because uh, first of all, he has a eight fifty or so OPS this week. Which in today's baseball, when everyone's in the six hundreds, is a pretty big deal. You mentioned it: extra base hits, some RBI, five in his last seven games. And if you look over his last fifteen games. He's actually got a, a uh, batting average of about 270. So he's he's in an offense that needs something. He's giving him a little jolt. My player of the week, how about K-Bear Ruiz? Hitting five of six. All the good numbers have gone up precipitously. A week ago, in terms of games played for him, obviously he's not playing every day because you, you can't as a catcher, but his on-base percentage was an even 300. It now stands at 351. OPS climbed all the way to the mid-sevens. Batting average Almost 290 as he's putting bat to ball. Again, calling a good game and receiving well. I've been really impressed with K. Ruiz. Darius, who's your dud of the week? Oh, I hate to do this to my guy, but Josh Bell, he's one for 23 in his last six games, batting 044. Josh Bell's got to uh, crank it back up. I, I, can't, I think we kind of knew a little bit of regression was coming. He was batting 340 for most of the season, so this is expected. He's now down about the 290 mark, uh, but Josh Bell hopefully will crank it back up starting this week against the Dodgers. Yeah, we call that the old correction now, don't we? Uh, mm. Danny, who's your dud of the week? Piling on a little bit, Victor Robles, now not even playing every day, scuffling at this point uh, after some mental errors, base running mistakes. Uh, again, that was one of the pronounced folks in, in Barry's column that he that he addressed as emblematic of kind of the, the brand of baseball the Nats are playing. And we're talking about the rise of Lane Thomas here, who's swinging it well lately. Well, he's playing center field an awful lot, and that means Victor Robles isn't. Patrick Corvin salvaged his start after a really bad first inning. Last time out against Milwaukee over the weekend, but five innings, five earnings, eight hits. Last couple of starts, you've now seen him giving up the long ball. He'd given up one all season, then he gave up three, two more in his last start. Weather's getting warmer. I'm starting to worry about the home run rate for Patrick Corbin climbing as well. 
0-7. I'm not really a win-loss guy for pitchers on the year. 6.60 ERA. FIP's a lot better than that. There are some numbers that might make you think he's thrown better than that. But we, we sang his praises and said he kind of turned a corner. Uh, he's been okay, but he has certainly not been at the level that he was a couple weeks ago. I remember we did talk about it. That was the one ancillary sign was the fly ball percentage was pretty high. And in April, you're pitching in some colder weather, been complaints about the baseball. You worry if the fly ball rate continues, some of those become wall scrapers, some of those start to sneak out. Boston Loose Baseball should have a massive episode six. I'm going down to Fredericksburg, going to watch Steven Strasburg make a rehab start on Tuesday, hoping to catch up with Brady House while I'm down there for the podcast as well. So make sure you are listening later this week on Thursday night when we release episode number six of Boston Loose Baseball. For now, though, thanks much for listening. Enjoy the Dodgers and the Rockies in town. If you're getting out to the ballpark, eat some chicken tenders. Send us some pictures from the Nationals Park seat that you're sitting in. For Darius, Danny, I'm Grant saying so long for Boston Loose Baseball.